Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's encourage our worship team. Excellent job. Represented us and our Lord, and of course, Pastor Philip very well. Pastor Philip is on an airplane right now. He, if he has Wi-Fi on a plane, I'm sure. Hey, Pastor Philip, <laughs> greetings from uh, from uh, Cape Coral. We're glad you're on your way back. But but your team did an awesome job. That's fantastic. And I love the fact that we're still singing Christmas songs, Christmas carols. That is important. I I, I sometimes think that we we kind of rush through Christmas so fast that finally we get to this week. I don't know if y'all enjoyed this week as much as I did, but this week after all the Christmas craziness, but before the race begins on January 1st, this kind of buffer week in between those two crazy times in our life, uh, this one is a time I can finally enjoy Christmas, and it's already packed up, and the, the packages are gone, the, the gifts are put away, slowly the decorations are coming down, and we sent jolly old St. Nick back to the North Pole. We think, sometimes I wonder if he didn't stick around. Now, not as Santa Claus. He won't be pulled out of the decorations until Walmart gets them on September 1st. But for the rest of us, sometimes we forget that Santa Claus is not a part of our everyday life as believers. Santa Claus has crept in. In fact, I call it the, the Santa-fication of the church. This idea that not only Christmas, but Santa Claus has crept all the way into our church family, our thinking, our church culture as well. And I'm not just talking about materialism and greed and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about how we how we view God. I mean, we think Santa Claus flew back to the North Pole, but so often we see God just like we see Santa. He's the jolly old man up in heaven who exists and and is there for us just to fulfill our wishes, our wish list. We call it prayer, but it's not that different from the wishing every kid does under the Christmas tree. He gives us gifts, and even better, he gives coal to our enemies. That is not how God works. God wants to do so much more. He wants to be a part of our lives, and this feeds in so perfectly with this whole victim mentality that I see everywhere as I look around our world. That's the problem. You give me a week where I can think and ponder, I start looking around me. I see how so many of us have fallen prey to this kind of victim mentality. We feel like we're always under attack. We feel like someone's always persecuting us. Someone's always, we're always in some kind of a battle. We've, we've all developed PTSD of some kind. We all have battle scars. We all have triggers and, and we're forcing everyone in our world to walk around on eggshells because they might trigger us and we might go off. And so we feel justified in pulling back. We feel justified in pulling away. We feel justified in hunkering down and and cutting off certain contacts and certain relationships and certain activities, even church activities, all in an effort to avoid pain and conflict and battles. God wants to use those battles. What if those battles weren't only there for the, for, the, for the infliction of pain, but what if those battles were actually there to help us, to, to grow us, to, to make us stronger in our faith? God doesn't only exist to fulfill our wish list, our Christmas list, our prayer list. God exists because he wants to not only do something for you, but do something in you. What, what would grow in us that would draw us closer to God? I've heard it said that Life is really just 10% about what happens to us 
and yet 90% of how we respond. I think that's true, especially in the, in, the, in the family of faith. We put too much weight on all the things, all the attacks, all the offenses of the enemy, of the evil one. We forget how important our response is. What if we were to learn a biblical response? What if we were to take the time to dig into God's word today ahead of 2024? We know the giants are coming. We know the battles are coming. We know the attack of the enemy is right around the corner, but what if this year we decided that we would respond biblically, respond as God would want us? What if we not only faced our giants, but we actually welcomed them because we are prepared for them. We prepared for the giants that are coming in 2024. So if you're ready and if you want to do that with me, let's jump right into God's word, into a story that I know all of us know, a story you'll, you'll know it right off for the first couple words. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you have your phone, you can aim it at the QR code, pull up the Bible text, uh, the sermon notes, you can follow on the screen behind me, and I hear the crinkling of paper, that means some of you brought an actual Bible, that's always Preachers love to hear those pages turn. <laughs> 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's see if you know this story. It, it, it takes an entire chapter. We won't read the whole chapter, although I think you should. Uh, they don't, just don't give me enough time. Although uh, this is actually the 930 slot. There's no 11 o'clock sermon. Wait, does that mean I get both? All right, good. I'm, no, I'm kidding. Um, hey, just by the way, if you're here and you normally attend the 11 o'clock next week, we go back to our normal schedule. We've been giving our kids workers a much needed break this week and last. So, hey, let's encourage our children's workers. They do an awesome job. Every single week and all during the week and on Wednesday nights, of course, as well. Uh, hey, pray for Danielle. She heads up our, our Wednesday night activities. Uh, had her gallbladder out, surprisingly. Yes, she's doing great back home, but we keep praying for her. So all kind of activities, getting ready for those kiddos. Are you ready? All right, so y'all find it. First Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to jump through the text. You can follow on the screen behind me and, and kind of follow where I am. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 4 says this. A champion named Goliath. See, I told you you'd know the story. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, nine and a half feet for you and me. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, king of Israel, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I get it. Verse 16, for 40 days... For 40 days, 49. <laughs> probably 40 nights, Jimmy, this Philistine came forward every morning and every evening, and he took his stand. Now, Jesse, that's a daddy from David. Now, Jesse said to his son, David, take this ephah, this basket, this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and, and bring back some assurance from them. Verse 23, as David was talking to them, the brothers, Goliath, the bad guy, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiances. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw that man, they all fled from him in great fear. Verse 32, but David said to Saul, let no one lose heart. 
on account of this Philistine, your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. It's a story we know. It's a story we're familiar with. We kind of know where it was going. Even, when, even though we skipped a few of the verses, you kind of know how it all fits together. So let's pull this story apart and understand how you and me, 3,000 years later, are, are to have that same response when the giants come, all right? First of all, we need to choose courage. Number one, choose courage. Now, when David woke up on this particular morning, I don't think he had any idea that this was a day he was going to face the biggest giant he'd ever faced in his whole life. When he got up, I mean, at best he knew he was headed to the front lines. He might see a little bit of the battle, but he had no idea that he was going to be involved in the battle. He had no idea that he and he alone was going to confront the biggest giant anyone in Israel had ever seen, had ever confronted, and he was going to do it all alone. Here's the deal. We don't, we don't often choose our giants. We don't, we don't often choose the timing of our battles. We don't often have the opportunity to decide, is today the day? Am I ready enough? Am I strong enough? Am I mature enough in my faith? Am I ready for this? Do I have enough cleared on my calendar to give this my full attention? That's not how it works. Our, our battles, our, our, our giants, our, our, the timing of those things, they often choose us. I didn't, I didn't choose covid you didn't, you didn't choose cancer. You didn't choose divorce. You didn't choose job loss. You didn't choose a broken relationship. We don't choose the battles we have, but the battles often choose us. When that giant shows up and we're not expecting it, oftentimes we freak out <laughs> and we run, we head for the hills. We go screaming off to God, God, make it go away. Make it go away. I'm not ready for this. I'm not strong enough for this. I didn't sign up for this. And, and all we do, our entire focus is on asking God to make it go away so that we don't have to go through the pain. Folks, do not miss all of 2024 focused on or hunkered down in fear of the giants that will come. Hey, let me be the first to tell you, we're not even in 2024 yet, and I want you to know the giants are coming. No, no, no. The giants are coming. The question is, will, be, will we be ready? I say we should. We're not to just suffer through. We're not just to, to hunker down and pray through that God would take it away, but we're supposed to grow and even thrive. What if there was a purpose to that battle? What if there was a purpose to that particular giant coming into your life? The greatest seasons of growth often happen in the hardest battles of our lives. Did you hear what David said to the folks? Again, this is little David. I'm going to use Joe as an example. Joe was our awesome young man that leads on guitar there. Picture Joe. 
a beautiful young man, gifted young man, godly young man, but not the kid I would choose to go up against the Philistine, right? Not that, uh, well, uh, in fact, we have, uh, we have Jacob as a good, I should have brought you guys back up here. Picture Jacob, but like three more feet. <laughs> this is what we're looking at. Joe, you know, as cute as he is, great as a kid as he is, godly as he is, and Jacob plus three more feet, <laughs> I ain't seeing it, but this is what God does, and this is what he is. And this kid, he turns to the others, and he encourages them. He says, do not lose heart. That means do not be discouraged, or if you put it in a positive way, have courage, or be courageous. Now, you know the deal with courage, right? Courage doesn't mean the absence of fear. We, we all know that. Courage means, um, courage means a, a willingness, even an ability to do something that you are afraid of. A willingness and ability to do something even though you are afraid. It is not fearless. Fearless is foolish. Any of y'all grow up up north with skiing and you, you remember taking your little three, four, five-year-old kids to ski school? They made it through the first day of ski school and then they're, then they're with you on the slopes. You, you, you get off the, 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 the lift, you're heading down carefully because your bones aren't quite as nimble as they used to be. And before you know it, those little three, four, and five-year-olds, they're gone. They're bombing it down the hill. Why? Because they're fearless. They have no idea what could happen. Fearless is foolish. In fact, every time I say the word fearless this morning, hear in your head foolish. Because it's, it's not aware. You don't know there's danger. This was not the case for David. He knew very well what the danger would. He probably even was afraid. His knees were probably knocking. He was probably sweating from his forehead. And yet, he was willing to trust God and God's word over the voices in his own head. For too long, worry and fear has mandated, controlled even, every decision we've ever made. Now, I want to say that again because I want you to understand this. I want you to wrestle with this this week. For too long, worry and fear even anxiety has mandated, controlled every decision you have made in this last year. That should not be. David wasn't fearless. He wasn't foolish. He was probably as scared as any of us would be, but he chose to believe God. Here's my word for you and for me for this coming year, 2024. Giants are coming. Giants are coming. Giants are coming. So th if they're coming, and if we will face them, why not face them with this attitude, the attitude of David, not in discouragement, but rather in courage, not with worry, but rather with trust. The giants are coming either way. Why not face them with victory? And not only for ourselves, but can you imagine the role model, the, the modeling that does for those that are weaker in their faith, watching you and me stand against our giants in the faith of David? Second of all, not only choosing courage, but God's calling us to choose faith, and, and faith that comes specifically from the right perspective. So let me, let me explain what I mean. Uh, the Bible says, the story says that for 40 days, the, the, the giant was taunting them. For 40 days, he was defying them, taunting, verbally taunting for 40 days. Just like Jimmy said, 40 days, 40 nights. 40 days, 40 nights. It never stopped. It was relentless. It, it was always in their ear. It was always in their face. It was always tempting them. It was always putting them down. It was always running them down. For 40 days, it never stopped. And then the Bible says, not only was he taunting them, he was using, he was using his usual taunts. Here's the deal. We all have usual taunts, don't we? Now, your usual taunts might not be my usual taunts, 
And my usual taunts probably are not your usual taunts, but the enemy knows exactly the red buttons in your heart and in your spirit. He knows how he can push on that button at just the right moment and the reaction that will come out of you almost automatically because it is the usual taunts, 40 days, 40 nights, relentless, never ending. He's always there. It's nothing new. It, it may be lust. It may be greed. It may be anger. It may be apathy. It may be materialism. But as long as we allow him a voice in our ear, as long as we allow him screen time on social media or television, as long as we allow him to, to be in our presence with a, with a crowd that would drag us away from God rather than to God, as long as we allow him the opportunity, he will relentlessly, 40 days and 40 nights, taunt us. Saul was very much under this influence. Saul had different buttons than you and I would have, different taunts than you would have. His, I believe, were two things at least, insecurity and jealousy. Insecurity because he was never never supposed to be the king. You remember the story we've talked about Saul quite a bit. Uh, His daddy never really wanted him. (laughs) Uh, His heavenly father never chose him. The people chose him. They thrust him up there in a leadership position. The only thing the kid had going for him was he was a good-looking, tall, handsome young man. That was it. That carried him about a day and a half. For the next 40 years, he continued to rule Israel, and God wasn't happy about it. And Saul, the poor guy, knew it. He felt it. He sensed it in his spirit. His heavenly father was not pleased with him, his decisions, and who he was. Can you imagine how insecure he was when this, when this kid, this, this David, the shepherd boy, rose in the ranks? He was already 10 times the man that Saul was. His character was flawless. His heart for God was impeccable. He was the man God wanted, not Saul. And so the enemy knew that. And so the enemy keeps taunting him and taunting him and taunting him. So by the time David comes up to stand before Goliath, all Saul can see, all Saul can understand from his perspective and from the influence of the enemy taunting him relentlessly is, Goliath is unbeatable. I believe him. In his brain, in his place in life, and his perspective on things based on the faith that he did or did not have, there was nothing else the guy could have seen. Goliath was over nine and a half feet tall. A little piece of the passage we didn't read, but dig into it, chapter 17, when you have time this week, it talked about his, his armor. The armor alone weighed 125 pounds. Picture David, picture Joe. I don't know that they weighed much more than 125 soaking wet. And this guy's wearing it as armor. There is no way Saul's perspective, from Saul's perspective, it was not only improbable, it was downright impossible. Here's the deal. You and me, when we're faced with our giants, we have to decide, will we be a Saul or will we be a David? Will we be a warrior or will we be a warrior? We have to decide, don't be a Saul. Don't have Saul's perspective. From his perspective, it was impossible. But instead of seeking God, instead of praying and asking God to work on his heart, to change his perspective, to bring him to a place where he could see things the way that David and maybe God saw things, he continued in his small, his powerless, his miracle-less world. And not only for himself, but he began spreading his negativity on others, including David. Something I've, I've noticed and observed in the 35 years I've been a pastor. Uh, what I'm going to share with you is not necessarily in the Bible. In fact, the Bible would actually teach against this. But this is something I've seen in 35 years. That new believers, 
folks that just recently came to the Lord, brand new baby Christians, they have a fire. They, they have an excitement. They have a willingness to follow God even in crazy places, far places, uh, way beyond their little bit of faith would have normally carried them because they're trusting God. On the other hand, those that have been longer in the faith, I don't want to say more mature in the faith, but let's say they've been around longer, they are slow to respond. They are almost unmovable. They are apathetic. They're content to squash the zeal of these new believers. Faith, hope, courage always looks crazy and foolish to the spiritually cold among us. Here's our problem. We, are, we have the wrong perspective. We, as believers, we want a miracle. We want God to move. God, on the other hand, he wants a relationship. He wants to know you. He wants to work not for you, but in you. We don't want a command from God. God, God, God doesn't give us the prayer, uh, the, the, the miracle we ask for. God gives us a command. God gives us instructions. We don't want those instructions. We want the miracle. God, why can't you do it? Like I said, just do this miracle. And God says, fine, here's what you do. No, I don't want to do anything. I want the miracle, we say. Don't you remember what happened with the widow? Back in the Old Testament, she was hungry. She needed food. She and her boy were about to starve to death. God, give me food. God's answer was, go around to all your neighbors, not collect food, but go around to all your neighbors and collect empty jars. What a crazy idea. She does it, and because she does it, God gives a miracle and gives her food for that day and the rest of her life. What about the wedding at Cana? The need was wine. Mommy, Jesus' mommy said, we need wine. Jesus, can you give us wine? He said, fine, go get jars of water. Why do we need water? We need wine. Why are we getting water when the need is wine? You remember Lazarus in the tomb. Lazarus was dead. He was in the tomb. His sisters and everyone around were praying, oh God, please save Lazarus. Jesus, why weren't you here earlier? You could have raised Lazarus. Won't you raise him? Jesus says, fine. Roll away the stone. Why are we rolling away the stone? If you're going to raise them anyways, just do it all at once. Roll away the stone. And Jesus brought the miracle. Here's what God does. He gives us instructions. He doesn't always give us the miracle we're asking for. There is an order to things. In our churches, it's the same way. We want God to change our family, God to change our church family, God to change our city, God to bring new life where there is not yet life. And God says, fine, go be a greeter. Great, go serve with the kiddos. Great, go help out in the kitchen. Great, wake up early and talk to me and listen to my voice. And we say, no, no, what I really want is a miracle. And God says, it's a process. I don't want to do something for you, but rather in you. We pray for God to get us out of hard situations, but all the while he wants to work in us. It is a faith perspective. God is not the supplier or simply the supplier of all of our needs and all of our wants. He is doing something in us. Folks, this year, 2024, do not limit God to simply a, a, a sanctified version of God, the giver of good gifts and the punisher of the bad. But if you let God do his thing in you, then all the things you're asking for will flow out of that afterwards. But there's something else that uh, Saul says. As he looks at David, this boy, he says, now listen, not only is it impossible, but I want you to know there is, there is no way, verse 33, there is no way that you will ever have victory in this battle. He's, he's speaking that over them. Saul was right. 
Saul was being wise. Saul was being accurate according to the facts presented before him. Anyone, anyone at that place, any sane thinking human being in the same situation would have come to the same conclusion. There is no doubt about it. In a, in a fight, a, a sword-to-sword fight, a hand-to-hand combat, there is no way David is going to win that battle. He was right. So then why does David go into battle? If he's right, how can David be right at the same time? Did he have a death wish? Again, is he just being foolish? Is he being impetuous? Is he just being childish? Is he just being immature? Folks, it is so easy for us, so easy for us as believers, especially those of us that have been a believer for a long time. It is so easy for us to label anyone who moves faster or further in their faith than we are, according to our faith, to label them impetuous, impatient, immature, just a dreamer, too spontaneous, even irresponsible. Folks, David had faith. Faith is creative. Faith allows you to see things that are not yet there. David had faith for miles. He was able to see clearly on that day and even all the way into tomorrow because of that faith. You might remember the verse back in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 11 where where God says that um, that if a farmer waits for perfect conditions, he he will never plant. If he waits and watches every cloud, he will never bring in the harvest. Folks, conditions will never be perfect. Conditions will never be just right. In fact, if conditions were perfect, you wouldn't need faith. God is calling us to have faith. David and Saul, they saw the exact same giant, but from a different perspective and with different faith. You remember the story of Elisha in the Old Testament. He was in a a, a valley and then uh, his, his servant woke up ahead of him, went out of the tent, looks around, and all around them on the mountainside was the enemy just about to come storming down those slopes and kill not only Elisha, but also his servant. He says, Elisha, Elisha, wake up. Do something, do something. They're about to come kill us. Elisha's great, I'll pray. The servant says, wonderful. And then he prays. What did he pray? Slaughter them all. Uh, whisk us away, save us at the last minute. No, 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 he didn't pray any of those things. He said, oh Lord, open the eyes of my servant. And the servant's like, that's all you got? I mean, surely you're Elisha. I've seen you do incredible things. There's gotta be something else in that prayer. Is that all you got? He opens his eyes. You remember what he saw? Sure, the enemy was still there. The army was still there. They were just about to pounce as they were 90 seconds before that. The difference was now he could see the army of God, much more powerful, infinitely powerful, all surrounding them about to win the battle. This is what God is calling us to do. No, not, not, not ignore our reality and not pretend like we live in a dream world. What we're saying is to open your eyes to what God sees, a new perspective. That's what brings faith. What faith change needs to happen in your life? What perspective change needs to happen in your marriage, in your job, in your relationships, maybe here in your church family, maybe even in the calling that God has on your life? What what faith and perspective change needs to happen for you? And then thirdly, after we choose uh, courage, we choose faith. Next, uh, finally, we need to choose God's promises or God's words that he speaks over us. Uh, look at 33 one more time. He says, David, you are just a boy. That's true. These are the words of Saul. 
These are the words of your boss. These are the words of your spouse. These are the words of your neighbors. These are the words of other, other political uh, opinions and yours. These are the words of people all around you speaking words over you. These words are not uplifting. These words are not edifying. Sometimes the words are true, but they're not meant to build you up or encourage you, but rather to tear you down. As long as we're listening to the words of men and women, we will be in the same boat as he was. But here's the deal. These were not the last words spoken over David. In fact, I think we have a slide. If you jump all the way to the book of Acts chapter 13, we hear what God speaks over David. Acts chapter 13 verse 22 says this. So after removing Saul, God made David their king. God testified, God spoke out loud concerning him saying, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Saul, humans, men and women, your crowd, People around you will call you a boy, a girl, but God says you are a man, you are a woman after his own heart. Who are you listening to? Stop listening to the world. Stop listening to your past. Stop listening to your problems. Stop listening to your failures. Listen to the words that God has spoken over you. Stop wasting time trying to change their minds and convince the unconvincible. That's not why you're here, but rather to live out what God has spoken over you. We know who we are. We know whose we are. And we know the words he has spoken over us. So then verse 34, 35, 36. In fact, let me just read it one more time. It says this. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear comes and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and I killed it. I'm going to stop right there. What what is he doing? He's giving pushback. In fact, I looked it up, that word David said, that's not just like he was chatting or he was telling a story. He was, he was expounding on something that happened to him, like an anecdote out of his past. He was, he was actually um, responding, but even with an edge, almost like the word challenging. David was giving pushback. Now, that's not unusual for a teenager. Teenagers give pushback all the time. We're used to that, aren't we? But he was giving pushback to the king. You didn't even respond to the king in those days. If you, if you would even look at his face, he could have your head chopped off, much less talk back to him. Talking back to him might on rare occasions be admitted, but pushback? Never. And here's David pushing back. He's saying, no, I will not listen to the words. I will not listen to the voice. I will not, I will not believe what you're saying. You cannot talk me out of this. You did not create me. You did not call me. I do not answer to you. David knew that Goliath was his opportunity, not his death sentence. He knew where he was going. Folks, we all need a Goliath. In the battle, in the challenge, in the confrontation that happens only in these kind of battles, do we understand who God is and how he works in us. Let me explain what I mean. You remember in the Old Testament days, especially the Hebrew world, names had a big, important role. In fact, they would give a person a name based on what that name meant. The word Goliath has a meaning as well. This is what Goliath means. It means to reveal to expose, to to uncover something. That's what the word Goliath means. He came from the city of Gath. Gath means a wine press. You know how wine presses work? Wine presses or, or any kind of press, they're there to squish with great pressure and great power so that what is on the inside comes out. 
Goliath, the revealer, the uncoverer, the, the discoverer is pressing. These, this is why we need Goliath in our lives. This is why we need these battles in our lives to discover who we are. This was the purpose in this for David. It reveals what's on the inside. It reveals our level, our faith. It reveals our gifting, even our calling. It reveals our need for, and our, even our dependence on God. Facing giants is not fun. None of us signed up for that. None of us are looking for that. Facing our giants is not fun, but I am stronger for it. My faith is deeper for it. My prayer life is richer for it. I don't know that I'm at a place where I could thank my giants for coming into my life, but I am thankful that I had my giants. Folks, this year, 2024, this is not the year when we run and we hide from our giants. This is not even the year that we face our giants. Folks, I am praying for you and for me that in 2024, we are literally welcoming our giants into our life because we know in that battle, in that experience, that's where I grow to a depth that I could not grow any other way. And that's why I signed up. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I did not sign up to ride and coast and be comfortable. Are you with us? As we close out today, I want to remind you something. Five years ago in February, y'all made a choice. <laughs> well, do we pick a pastor or we pick a missionary? And there was some debate. <laughs> but in the end, you said, we're going to go with the missionary. So you kind of got what you asked for. And God's calling us now for a time away. This is a big part of who we are, who we've always been, the way God wired us and put us together, made us, and even brought us here to be a part of the New Hope family. For these months while we're away, we will be living this out every single day. Chanel and the kids, they've been doing this for these last few weeks, giving great reports of all the, the flyers and invites and, and preparations they've been making down there. But at the same time, we are praying for you. I've told my staff and, and the leaders, the elders, deacon, the same thing. I'm not asking you to maintain, manage things while I'm gone. Just keep the ship afloat. Nothing like that. I am praying that you will run, welcome, head towards your giants. Because in those battles, that's where you grow. I know that when we come back, we will be changed. I pray that when we come back, you will be changed as well. God is calling us to much bigger things in 2024. And I believe stories like this out of David's life, this is how we get there. Sitting on our rear ends and taking in the show, that is not how we get there. If you are ready and if you're with me, let's go together into 2024 welcoming our giants. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for how you are working in our church. You have been working so powerfully for so long. God, forgive us when we, when we forget or, or even take for granted all the things that you're doing, uh, the new life we're seeing, the, the new believers, the new families, the, the, the financial blessing. Lord, you, in, in every way, you are pouring out your blessing on this church family. And we are thankful. But God, we, uh, we've kind of gotten used to it. We want more. We want to see what you have for us in 2024. Forgive us, Lord, if we have in any way taken the foot off the gas pedal, if we have in any way allowed ourselves to be distracted. That was not our intent. We are committing to you again 
to turn our full and undivided attention to you and your spirit as you lead us. Oh, Father, I pray your blessings over our church leaders and pastors, over our belong group leaders, over our serve team leaders, and over every person who is here joining us online, that you would call us to a higher ground where we don't just hunker down and live through our battles or or, or avoid our battles, but God, we welcome them as opportunities to grow in our faith and to know you in a deeper way. Jesus, we thank you that you have entrusted us with this challenge, and in your strength and with the faith you've given us, we say yes. Bring it. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.